Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. The General Synod of the Scottish Episcopal Church has finished for another year and I find myself in an upper room in St Paul's and St George's Church in Edinburgh with the Primus of the Church, Most Reverend Mark Strange. Primus, thanks for joining me. Not at all. Can I start by asking, what's your highlight of this synod been? I always think the highlight for me is it's now time for me to go and have dinner um, <laughs> with my wife. The highlight for me is having got the decision on, on, on Canon 4, because in fact that ties so much into how uh, we as a church will go about the election of our bishops. It's not something we're very proud of the way we uh, we elect, but we needed to tidy up the way that that process happens to make people feel, well, feel they wanted to go forward. But I think the other was the fact that the church, aware of the complications and difficulties we might have with net zero, were convinced to go on. And who couldn't be happy with the moderator's speech? I mean, someone came and spoke to us historically, the people who we, we've always been sort of friendly with in history and earlier history were not at all. But to have, have my dear friend Sally here yesterday, that was lovely. How did that come about? Because this was, the, I think, I'm right in saying the first time that a moderator of yeah. the Church of Scotland has addressed yeah. the General Synod. It, it, well, it came about because it's, it's the natural progression. I mean, I, myself and, and the, the moderator, uh, went to Jim Wallace, we signed this Andrew's Declaration. Sally, of course, with her work for Christian Aid, is, is someone that, that I've worked with on a regular basis. Um, and and her, her story yesterday about me in the soaking in, in Glasgow. And therefore, it was a natural thing to say, if we're genuinely speaking to each other, then the moderator of the General Assembly needs to feel that she can come and address us. I've addressed Assembly before, um, and therefore it just seemed the most natural thing. So I said, we'll ask her. Do you think this betokens, well, as you said, you know, the, the, the relationships are already friendly, but in terms of the sort of collaborations and the, and, the, and the co-working that could go forward, how do you think that might pan out? Well, I think that the decision yesterday by on our canons for ecumenical work Good debate, but in the end, the decision was made that we we do all that we can at the moment to to work together. We're all going to be having moments when we're thinking, gosh, where does the future lead us? Now, why would we want to do that in two separate places when in, in my own diocese in the Highlands, often there is only one church in a community. And if we can all share in that, the use of that holy space... If we, as, as the Episcopal Church and the Church in Scotland, who come from the same root, can actually work together, then that has to be the benefit of everyone. We also have to recognise that, you know, that I, I like the worship of the Episcopal Church. I've known it all my life. There are things which are I would miss if we lost everything, but I'm not asking for uniformity. We're actually asking for the capacity for us all to be able to worship and find ways of encouraging each other, uh, of us attending each other's meetings, of enabling a Church of Scotland when it's trying to consider what it does with its church buildings, as it is at the moment, to say, if you need to, you can use some of ours, not that we have that many, and just to be able to put one voice to the people of Scotland at the time when they really are, they need to hear something spiritual, and many of them want to hear something spiritual, 
But why, why would you go to a church if it thought that church didn't speak to its neighbouring church? You know, you, you go to the church that you're comfortable with and where the worship is right for you, but actually you should feel able to also to go next door where they may do things differently, but you're going to be loved just as much. I want us to be the church for Scotland. Um, you speak of sort of churches doing things uh, differently. The big event last summer was the Lambeth Conference, of yes. course, uh, yes. which you attended. Within the Anglican Church, uh, there's a great amount of diversity, as you know, mm-hmm. perhaps uh, better than anyone else. How was that experience, meeting with, with your counterparts right across the Anglican Communion? I think it sounds really quite arrogant. I don't mean it to. The, 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 I, I'm quite gregarious. And I attend the primates meetings. So, so the Anglican primates who still come to the Anglican, not all of them do, then I've, I've spent quite a bit of time with them, you know, talking about who I am, talking about what our church is like, and they can challenge and have that conversation. But they're always good conversations. So when we got to the Lambeth Conference, I mean, some of those who, were, who, who ultimately were going to be really disagreeing with us were the first to stand up and give me a hug when I walked into the room. Or to ask me how how the diocese was, or to say, is is Jane here? My wife is she with you? So, so these are people who I'm able to talk to, um, to share, and to recognise in most of them they don't like what we may have done. But I made the statement at my very first primates meeting: it's our decision, and we're going to stick to it. And I think having made that line, then actually. I had a really good time at Lambeth. I, I I did at the previous Lambeth because you're meeting people you haven't seen for ages. You're you're meeting new people. Then and of course everybody, everybody wants to visit Scotland. You know, every no matter if they weren't actually wanting to speak to us, they still want to come and visit Scotland. And the easiest way for anyone in the Anglican community to visit Scotland is to speak to the Primus. <laughs> so so I, I enjoyed it. I th- found the process, I thought, that the Archbishop of Canterbury and the way that the calls were done were, was, was, was quite masterful at the time. And, and we just were able to have the conversations. My great sadness is that some, some have never been to a meeting that I'd be at. Mm. Um, that's their choice, not mine. And so a lot has been made of the, the three or tripartite structure of this uh, Lambeth conference with, uh, with the yes. discussions that occurred on, on Zoom before the, the, the in-person conference and then phase three uh, afterwards. And has that been something that you've uh, engaged in? I know it's only really just kicked off. Well, I'm a Bible study convener for my sins. So, so, so actually, next week, I think it is, I have a Zoom meeting with um, bishops from across the communion um, to, to, to re-engage with the Bible study group I had at the Lambeth Conference. Um, and I'm pleased to say that most of them have responded positively from, from a variety of, of provinces. Um, I think I still need to bring myself up to speed with, with actually what we're, the, the, the third phase is going to be. And that's not, that, that's not because they haven't been telling us, it's just because I haven't found the space. So I need to do that before the Zoom meeting. I think anything that gives us the opportunity to keep talking has to be good. The possibility that I can have a Zoom meeting with colleagues from around the, the, the world where we will pray, where we will share ideas and where we will talk in friendship. Why would I not want to be part of that? That's really important. Since uh, the Lambeth Conference, the Church of England Synod, of course, has um, 
made a move that has has uh, ruffled a lot of feathers to put it um very mildly just sort of seeing that process from from a little distance how does it compare to to what you went through um when you when you brought in same sex marriage in in the Scottish Episcopal Church i think one of the fundamental differences between the Scottish province and the English provinces is our size so when we would be saying things in our debates which were clearly going to be upsetting then then you weren't just saying something to to somebody who runs a church 200 miles away you were probably speaking to someone you trained with or somebody you'd worshipped with or somebody you've known for a long time and therefore the steps as they were taken even though it was painful for some and some did leave um, it was done it was possible to do it in a way which I think is difficult for the Church of England because of its size to do so from where I am I, I, I don't make comment on, on, on where the, well I certainly um, try very hard to be supportive uh, without without standing in a position that says well you know, I'm only supportive of one side they have to find a way of enabling people to be honest to what they believe and if some walk away from wherever side they come, they need praying with. If people are all remain to stay, are going to stay, they also need to be prayed with. And the last thing they need is a neighbouring province trying to point out to them where they might or might not have gone wrong. So for me, I will continue praying fervently for my brothers and sisters in the south. You've also, as well as the, the Lambeth Conference, um, you've made a couple of other very high-profile trips to uh, England in the last year uh, for royal events, the Queen's funeral and the coronation very more recently. Um, what was it like being involved in those? When I first got the, uh, an email to suggest that I, I would be asked to do something specific at the, at the coronation, it was one of those moments where you get an email from Buckingham Palace, which I assumed was a scam, <laughs> because why would they be sending to me? In my, my instinctive nature at that point was, why me? I, I think that quite often. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't see a hierarchy in my position, really. I just think, gosh... I'm this, this bishop from the north of Scotland. Then it struck me, and there were some, you know, some nice words as to why they wanted you know, us to be doing the tasks we were. And they're quite private, but it was that sense of, okay, I've been asked to do this, but I've been asked to do this on behalf of, 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 of my church. And that's a hugely powerful responsibility. Uh, I think I worked out that probably the last time a bishop of Murray was at coronation was probably James VI. So this is quite historic, and it would be easy to sort of get caught up in you know all the politics of the, the, the two nations. But for me, I was asked if I could go, which I found quite overwhelming. Then I was asked if I could do something which is just at that moment before crowning. And apart from being almost overwhelmed by that sense of, why am I standing here? It was profoundly powerful. It has affected so many people in our church. Everyone wants to talk about it. It's it's been it's it's been wonderful. I, it's very difficult to say much more than that because it was quite overwhelming, mm. um, and I felt deeply honoured that I'd been asked to do what I did, and, and will continue to do so. Well, a couple of the the topics you've already mentioned is uh, is coming up in this synod. One, a major one, was the drive towards net zero. There was some 
anxiety, I think, amongst um, members and, and people outside of the church that there might be dilution of, of, of the commitment that had already been made. Um, that didn't actually come to pass in the end. I wonder, though, if you could, you could comment about those anxieties that people have, particularly the, the financial aspect of it. Yes, I mean, I think people in, in my own diocese, at our own diocesan synod, the anxiety was how do we employ someone? How do we find the resources to employ someone to do this task? When actually much of our concern is, is, is providing a stipend for, for a priest in Wiccan Thurso or something. So there's a sense in which you look at, at, a, at a plan, you know that instinctively it's something we have to do if we are to be honouring God in creation. We can't we can't continue the way we are. But you're then going to get anxious because how are you going to fulfill that if the resources are tight? And people are really proud of what their church gets on with. They're really happy that their church is taking the kind of step it is. And they don't want to fail because somehow they can't find the resources. So I think the anxiety wasn't that it wasn't going to get through. It was how do we, do, so being able to talk about uh, finance, particularly when we had the, the you know the investment committee able to talk to us, that calmed people. So I don't pick up anywhere, or very rarely, even in the high, even in the depths of the Highlands, people who think we shouldn't be doing this. But it was a genuine anxiety. We don't want to say we can do something and then don't have the resources, and that anxiety was taken away this week. Um, and I think that the plan we have is something that people can see is achievable. Um, and therefore, they're they're determined to get on with it. I thought it was it was good. We've aired that that matter, and and moving on. A topic that came up a few times in the debate uh, was on church buildings and the possibility, perhaps, um, of a of a future reckoning uh, about how they use the church, how church buildings are used, and and yeah. and perhaps getting rid of them. You know, this is something that is being discussed in the Church of England as well. But it, it strikes me that that in Scotland you've got perhaps slightly different situation in the geographical um, disbursement uh, often. Um, and how how do you see that playing out in over the next few years? Well, one of the conversations I'm having in my own diocese is the, is the twenty minute rule. You know, you don't you shouldn't have to travel more than twenty minutes or to twenty miles, whichever it is. To, to, to get the resources you need. Now, that's never going to happen in Caithness or in Sutherland. I mean, you know, 20 minutes means you find you get to your neighbour's house. <laughs> but there's a sense in which uh, what we're doing is looking at the buildings we have, uh, and thankfully most of ours are Victorian square boxes because um, without towers and turrets. But we're looking at our buildings and saying, right, well, how far do you have to travel already to get to church? So that would be a, a way to think, oh, what do we do? Many of the churches in my own diocese have never had a church building. They've never worshipped in a church building. And they are able to teach the other churches how that might be. Most of our buildings, because they're in deeply rural communities or, or in um, uh, small towns, are already being used for a variety of other purposes. We will find the point at which we may have churches we can't keep open. We we closed one in my own diocese this year, partly because of historic building problems with it. Painful and difficult process that is. And we're hoping to support the Church of Scotland as they go through that process. But if it has to happen, then it has to be happen prayerfully and with the knowledge that we're not shutting a church, we're just closing a building. Mm. 
You also mentioned the debate around the revision of Canon 4, which was approved uh, in this synod uh, that uh, governs the procedure by which uh, a bishop is is appointed. How pleased were you to see that that change be made? Well, I was delighted, partly because the Primus is heavily involved in all of it, <laughs> so it's quite good to... I'm delighted because I, my prayer would be that... It was clear from the previous canon that, that things, whether it was to do with the ca- ca- sorry the canon or not, things had been difficult in some places. I think the canon will change that. I think what I'm praying is that the canon enables a church which can encourage people to step forward into the process, because they're not going to have you know it's the vulnerability, but. For me, it's less what Canon 4 does. I think that just settles us into a good process for election. Uh, The real task is to enable the clergy of the church to discover and discern their call to Episcopal ministry and to ensure that we get the, the widest response by the way that we as bishops and others encourage people to consider what their future ministry might be. You mentioned um, in, in, in one of the debates um, or one of the sort of feedbacks from the bishops um, and the, the lack of diversity in the, in the current college. Um, is that something you think is likely to change or is more amenable to change if you've uh, got a, a process which encourages more people to come forward? Yes. yes. I mean, the diversity of the synod floor... I mean, we, we, in, in my own diocese, there is diversity of gender, there's diversity of, of, of racial background, there's, there's all sorts of diversity. If we're encouraging people because of the gifts and talents that they have, they will come from all parts of our church. Um, and, and I just pray that that's the way we go, because why do we want not to have the gifts of, and experiences from, from a variety of people? In the comments I made for myself yesterday, I need to discover what it is like to experience some of the things that are are out there. So I need people to come and speak to me about that, to enable me to see what I may have to change in myself to enable enable those processes to work. But I've I've always, always worked on the basis that my Episcopal ministry is simply was another ordination to a specific ministry, not necessarily a hierarchical structure. And I can see people who really need to be encouraged to come forward to consider that. And a new structure means that they can do that without so much fear. Perhaps one of the um, strangest moments of this synod was was when a glitch in the voting system left us with uh, a vote in the House of Bishops in which seemingly seven bishops had voted, whereas there are currently only six uh, bishops at synod perhaps draws attention to the fact that there there are seven bishops in in the in the church but that the bishop of Aberdeen and Orkney uh, the right reverend and I is currently suspended you made a, a pastoral statement at the start of this gathering of synod and I, I spoke to a few members from Aberdeen and Orkney who expressed their own frustration at the lack of a of a time frame is there any end in sight to this process? And can you can you share anything about how it's going to work forward? What I also said in my statement was that you know I don't have any control over that process, mm-hmm. or in fact any more information than you have about that process. Mm-hmm. 
we the, the, our canons make it quite clear that this is separate from the role of the college, but certainly separate from the role of the primus, um, and therefore they will get on with their business. And I, I, I said we, we pray for them and the work they're doing, mm. but but I have no more information, mm. um, and until until the report comes, I really can't say any more than that because I know no more than that. In terms of the, the diocese, the, the, the Bishop of um, Edinburgh is, is currently serving as the acting bishop um, in Aberdeen and Orkney. Um, how is that? I, mean, I, I presume you, you've sort of been involved perhaps in a, in a more sort of arm's length in terms of how that process is playing out. And do you think it's, it's, it's working well? I know that John is working well and, and um, is putting a huge amount of energy into his work because uh, I know from having looked after other dioceses as, as well as my own that's, that's a really time consuming process. I know John is, is doing his work lovingly and generously um, and how that ultimately will be reviewed, well, well we will wait and see but at the moment I have confidence that he is doing over and above, he's working hard, he's attempting to make sure that the life and witness of the church in that part goes on, mm. and uh, and he has our confidence in the doing of that, and our prayers. Primus, thank you so much for your time, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.